This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jangda. If you enjoy and benefit from listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free with you and your donation ensures that we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has tens of thousands of listeners. So the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting this effort is endless, inshallah. You never know who will be able to benefit from your contributions and donations. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahi walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with our study of the life of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Asiratul Nabawiyya, the prophetic biography. In the previous sessions, we concluded the study of the ninth year of Hijrah. The ninth year of the Prophet Wasallam's residence in the city of Medina. And as we talked about over a number, numerous sessions, the ninth year was largely dominated by the arrival of the wufud, the caravans, the delegations that came from far and wide to meet with the Prophet Many of them had accepted Islam and they came to give their oath of allegiance to the Prophet ﷺ to learn more about the deen. Many of them were on the uh, precipice of embracing Islam and they came to formally accept the faith and embrace Islam, enter into Islam at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ. Many of them came because they had heard about Islam and they were curious to learn more. And they came and they learned more and majority of them ended up accepting Islam and embracing Islam. However, there were some who came to negotiate and to talk and develop more peaceful relations. And as we had talked about, there were even a number of very, uh, there were a few, very, very few, but unfortunate interactions as well, like Musaylima Kadhab, the false prophet coming and basically being disrespectful with the Prophet and the Prophet ﷺ dismissing him and sending him away. And then we concluded by talking about how the Prophet ﷺ sent Mu'ad bin Jabal and Ali bin Abi Talib ta'ala He sent them to Yemen to establish Islam. Now, what we're going to continue talking about today is the 10th year of Hijrah. The 10th year of Hijrah, the early part of the year continued in a lot of the same way. The Prophet ﷺ actually did not travel a lot in the 10th year. He would travel extensively at towards the end of the 10th year. Because he would go for Hajj, Hajjatul Wida'ah. And then the Prophet ﷺ, as we'll be talking about, would also undertake uh, the very tedious and very difficult journey of Tabuk. But the Prophet ﷺ did not travel a lot during the 10th year. The 10th year was mostly a year of stability, establishment, education, development. The Prophet ﷺ sent many of the companions and the Sahaba far and wide. They spread Islam, they taught Islam. More and more tribes and people were entering into Islam. 
And even though the ninth year is known as the year of the delegations, during the beginning of the tenth year, the first half of the tenth year, many delegations continued to come, arrive and visit with the Prophet ﷺ and visit Madinatul Munawwarah. However, the thing that the tenth year is signified by is essentially Hajjatul Wida'. It is the farewell pilgrimage. That is essentially what marks the tenth year uh, of Hijrah. And so what we're going to be talking about over uh, a number of the following sessions is we're going to go into a lot of depth and detail about Hajjatul Wida'. The farewell pilgrimage. The Hajj of the Prophet as many scholars have noted, Ibn Kathir rahmahullah ta'ala, he writes very specifically, وَلَقَدْ إِعْتَنَ النَّاسُ بِحَجَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَمَ إِعْتِنَاءً كَثِيرًا مِنْ قُدَمَاءِ الْأَئِمَّةِ وَمُتَأَخِّرِيهِمْ And that actually stands true till today. Imam Ibn Kathir rahmahullah ta'ala, he says that people have expended a great amount of energy. And people have invested a lot of time and effort and energy into studying and documenting every single little aspect of the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. This happened classically. The scholars of old and the scholars of new, he says, at his time. And that actually has continued till today. Till today there are ongoing writings and discussions and deliberations and reflections upon the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ, he proclaimed something at the time of the Hajj. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, um, Take from me how to perform the Hajj. By this time there was such a large ummah that every single little action of the Prophet ﷺ was being documented, was being memorized, was being studied and transmitted and passed on and carried on. That was already going on, that was already happening. However, at the time of the Hajj, the Prophet ﷺ more deliberately and more specifically, he emphasized upon everyone to very closely uh, study and observe the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. So for this reason, there is a lot of documentation. However, there's a little bit of a challenge that Ibn Kathir ta'ala he talks about as well. He says that فَإِنَّ النَّقْلَةَ إِخْتَلَفُوا فِيهَا إِخْتِلَافًا كَثِيرًا جِدًّا He says, however, because of human nature and the fact that we as human beings have a limited viewpoint, right? I mean, just physically even speaking in terms of the senses, the hasas of the human being, we only have a certain amount of peripheral vision. We can only see a certain amount of distance in front of us. We can only observe what's happening immediately around us. So what happens is that different Sahaba, different people were narrating different moments from the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. So every single little narrator, every single narrator, every single Sahabi narrated specifically what they came across. So what you end up having is you have a lot of narrations. Literally, it's not an exaggeration to say you have hundreds, maybe thousands of narrations. Just simply about the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. Documenting and noting different, different components and parts of the Hajj. But the challenge of many of the scholars, similar to Ibn Kathir Taala, is that they basically brought all these different narrations together and try and basically what they attempted to do and what they were successful in doing was 
constructing an entire narrative through all these different narrations, the different pieces of information that they get from different people and different individuals. So inshallah, what we'll be doing is, we'll basically be going through this narration and all the documentation, all the observation of the Hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. And the hope is that, you know, over a number of weeks, we go through different parts and components of the Hajj. Now, a lot of times, you know, in the community, I myself have done this a number of times, um, when, whenever the season of Hajj is coming up, we'll have a lecture about Hajj, we'll have seminars about Hajj. And so some of those lectures will be about Hajjatul Wida. And so what we'll do is we'll go through the Hajjatul Wida, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half, we'll cover the Hajj. But again, what usually happens at that point is you're kind of summarizing and you're going over certain main components and the highlights of the Hajj. With us here in these particular sessions, because we have the luxury of time and we're not really in a rush to kind of get through everything, we'll be going into a little bit more nuance, a little bit more detail, not getting bogged down to, into technical discussions. I'll get to that in just a moment, but we'll be able to go into more detail and study different parts of it. My intent here today is to basically cover the preparation of the Prophet ﷺ for Hajj, the departure from the city of Medina, the journey to Mecca, the arrival in Mecca, and then if time allows, time permits, we'll see, potentially the Umrah of the Prophet because he did an Umrah before his Hajj. And so we'll see if we have time to cover the Umrah or not. There's a lot of detail in regards to that particular Umrah. But nevertheless, we'll cover kind of the pre-Hajj portion today. Then we'll cover the Umrah and then the days leading up to the Hajj that the Prophet ﷺ stayed in the Meccan region, which is also very interesting and fascinating. Many people are not aware of how the Prophet ﷺ spent those days. And then we'll actually go into the Hajj itself and we'll probably have a dedicated session for just a khutbah of Hajjatul Bida. And then we'll talk about the post-Hajj And then the Prophet's journey back to the city of Medina So we'll go ahead and get started with this The Prophet ﷺ In this particular year We've talked about this previously There was, a, there was one Hajj Valid Islamic Hajj That was done before this Hajj in the ninth year of Hijrah, a year ago, the Prophet وسلم, or uh, the Prophet had sent Abu Bakr and, um, and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, excuse me, Abu Bakr and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhumah as the leaders of the Hajj, along with 200 hand-picked, hand-selected companions to send them for the Hajj, to initiate the process of Hajj. It also served as a way to kind of clean house in Mecca a little bit, establish some of the ground rules, because the world was a very different place at that time, word would kind of get out more slowly. A lot of times some visitors from outside were still coming in expecting to find their idols there. They were basically coming to worship their idols. And they were arriving there and saying, oh, what happened over here? And it was creating this constant tension. So part of the declaration at that time was to completely establish the ground rules. No one will come here for worshipping idols anymore. That this concept and this belief and this practice of shirk is a detestable, filthy thing, theologically speaking. And so therefore, no one should ever come here with the intent and the purpose of worshipping their idols. Do not come here for that anymore. So these types of grand rules were established. This is the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
So this one hajj did previously occur. However, this is the hajj of the Prophet ﷺ. Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim rahimahumullah ta'ala, they narrate from Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that the Prophet ﷺ performed four umrahs in his lifetime. He performed four umrahs in Islam in his lifetime. The four, three of them were during the, months of, during the month of Dhul Qa'da, the 11th month of the lunar calendar. And one was in Dhul Hijjah. All right. The four umrahs of the Prophet ﷺ are, the first one was that the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba put on the ihram from the miqat of Medina Dhul Hulayfa, and they proceeded, and they, when they arrived at the place of Hudaybiyah, they were blocked and prevented from coming in. That counts as an umrah, because they were blocked. It was not, they did not willingly go back, they were not allowed to go. So they shaved their heads, they made their sacrifices, and they went back from there. But they were given the full reward of the umrah. So that is, concerned, that is considered the first umrah of the Prophet ﷺ. The second umrah of the Prophet ﷺ was the umrah of qada, also known as umratul qisas and umratul qadiyah. It was basically a makeup, a follow-up Umrah. As part of the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims negotiated that they would come the following year in the seventh year of Hijrah, and they would come for three days and they would perform Umrah. That was also in the month of Dhul Qa'dah because it was exactly a year later. The third Umrah the Prophet ﷺ did was, in the, was the Umrah of Ji'irrana. The Umrah of Al-Ji'irrana. Ji'irrana is the miqat of the people of At-Ta'if. So people who live in Ta'if, when they come for Umrah, they have to put on their ihram from a place called Ji'irrana. They have to put on their ihram from a place called Ji'irrana. And that was the Umrah of Ji'irrana. Basically, they had Fatr Mecca. We talked about this. They did the conquest of Mecca. They went to Hunayn. They met the enemy at Hunayn, dispatched the enemy from there, the tribes of Hawazin and Thaqif. Then they laid siege to the tribe of Thaqif in the city of Ta'if. After they left there, they were coming back into Mecca, and now the Prophet said, Mecca is safe and secure, we can now perform an Umrah. And they stopped at Ji'irrana, they distributed the spoils of war, they assumed the Ihram, the state of Ihram, and then they came and did an Umrah, and that was also in the month of Dhul Qa'da. The fourth Umrah the Prophet performed was in conjunction with the Hajj. And we'll be talking a little bit more about that later. But this was the fourth one, and this was actually in the month of Dhul Hijjah. So these are the four Umrahs of the Prophet ﷺ. The other thing is that the ulama note that the Hajjat al of the Prophet ﷺ is also it's known as Hajjat al the farewell. Hajj or pilgrimage, because that was right before the departure of the Prophet ﷺ. Of course, that was something that the Sahaba did not know at that time. The Prophet ﷺ would later tell us, he told Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha, he knew, he knew that his time was ending, but the Sahaba did not know the Prophet ﷺ was going to be departing soon. The Prophet ﷺ passed away 81 days after he came back from Hajj. 81 days after he came back from Hajj. The Prophet ﷺ did not, he knew, but the Sahaba did not know. Later on, we remember that as Hajjatul Wida', the farewell Hajj. Secondly, some of the scholars also refer to this as Hajjatul Islam. 
Hajjatul Islam. Even though the Hajj of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala is also known as Hajjatul Islam as well, because that was the first Hajj done in Islam, some scholars refer to this as Hajjatul Islam. The reason why they call this Hajjatul Islam is because of the ayah of the Qur'an that was revealed during this Hajj. Al-yawma akmaltu lakum deenakum, wa atmamtu alaykum ni'mati wa raditu lakumul islama deenan. Today I have completed your religion for you. I have completed my blessing upon you, and I have chosen for you as your way of life to be the religion of Islam. So that's why they call it Hajjatul Islam. And some also refer to it as Hajjatul Balagh. Balagh means to convey the message. And that's because of the khutbah, the Prophet ﷺ gave it Hajjatul Wida. And specifically at the end of the khutbah, he asked the companions. First of all, he asked them, Ala qad ballaghtu, hal ballaghtu? Listen, have I conveyed the message? And they all, all the Sahaba responded to the Prophet ﷺ, Yes, you have conveyed the message. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, Let every single one of you that receives this message, take it to those who have not received this message. So because of the mandate of balagh, tabligh, was made at that particular moment, it's also known as hajjatul balagh. The hajj where the message was conveyed or communicated. So this is a little bit about just the introduction to the hajj. Now, to talk about the hajj itself, this particular journey, the Prophet ﷺ, he announced prior to this that he would be performing hajj this year. When he announced this, everyone in Medina prepared to go with the Prophet ﷺ for Hajj. People around the city of Medina, a lot of the Bedouins that lived around there that had become Muslim, they prepared to go with the Prophet ﷺ. And many other people that lived north of Medina, they also wanted to go with the Prophet ﷺ for Hajj. They wanted to travel with him in his qafila, in his caravan. And so people started arriving into the city of Medina. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she narrates, Abdullah bin Abbas, Anas ibn Malik, Jabir ibn Abdullah, many narrate this, but Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she particularly narrates that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam departed from the city of Medina on the 24th of Dhul-Qa'dah. On the 24th of Dhul-Qa'dah, five days remained in the month of Dhul-Qa'dah. لِخَمْسٍ بَقِينَ مِنْ Dhul-Qa'dah. So on the 24th, that was a month of 29 days that year. So on the 24th day, the Prophet ﷺ departed. And on the day the Prophet ﷺ departed from Dhul-Qa'dah, uh, from Medina, Al-Madinah Al-Munawwara, 30,000 people traveled with the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet Sallallahu Hajj group was 30,000 people. Alright? Because again, imagine, if you could go with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi why wouldn't you? Alright? So 30,000 people went with the Prophet Sallallahu The Prophet Sallallahu prayed Salat al-Dhuhr in Medina. Because of the size of the group, usually the Prophet Sallallahu was fond of leaving a little bit earlier in the day, in the morning time. That day they prayed Dhuhr in Al-Madinat Al-Munawwara in Masjid Al-Masjid Al-Nabawiyya Sharif. They prayed in the Masjid of the Prophet Salat Al-Dhuhr. After praying Salat Al-Dhuhr in Medina, they departed 
and they reached Dhul Hulayfa, because Dhul Hulayfa is not very far outside of Medina. They reached Dhul Hulayfa and they prayed Salat al-Asr in Dhul Hulayfa, as is narrated by a number of the companions in the Sahaba radiallahu ta'ala anhum. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he prayed at Dhul Hulayfa, he only prayed, he led the prayer, Asr, two rakahs, because they were travelers now. They had left the, the, the city limits of Medina, and they prayed two rakahs of Salat al-Asr at the place of Dhul Hulayfa. Then they prayed Maghrib there, Isha there, and they spent the night at Dhul Hulayfa. In the morning time, they prayed Salat al-Fajr. The Prophet ﷺ told the Sahaba to start making preparations and getting ready. Once again, because of the sheer size of the group, it took so much time for everyone to get ready, they ended up praying Salat al-Dhuhr at Dhul Hulayfa, and then they departed. And then they departed. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, or excuse me, Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, he narrates in the hadith of Bukhari, that when the Prophet ﷺ left Medina on that day, on the 24th of Dhul Qada, the Prophet ﷺ, he got ready, he took, uh, he took a, a ghusl, he took a bath, cleansed himself. The Prophet wasallam he combed and brushed his hair, he applied oil in his hair and combed and brushed his hair and his beard. The Prophet wasallam put on a nice pair of clothes, his uh, izar, which is kind of like the lower garment, like a wrap. Uh, lungi or you know different things different languages but a wrap around the lower body he put the izar on and then the Prophet ﷺ wore a rida kind of like a shawl like took a sheet and draped it over his shoulders and in that particular state and condition the Prophet ﷺ proceeded to the place of Dhul Hulayfa they, as I mentioned before they spent the night there at Dhul Hulayfa in the morning time the Prophet Aisha anha, she narrates that the Prophet that morning, he took again a bath of purification, just a ghusl, he cleansed himself. Aisha anha, she says, I personally applied perfume to the body of the Prophet ﷺ, to the chest and the shoulders of the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ would also sometimes take a little bit of perfume and put it in his hair. And then he would comb and brush his hair and sometimes you could see some of the traces of the perfume in his hair because it was like a cream, almost like musk, like a lotion. So you could sometimes see it like where his hair would part, you could see it. Um, so the Prophet ﷺ, he applied this. After that, the Prophet ﷺ put on the two garments of the ihram. The Prophet ﷺ then prayed. At the place of Dhul Hulayfa, there is a masjid present there. There's a lot of discussion amongst the, the historians and the scholars of Sirah and Hadith, but there is a masjid at the place of Dhul Hulayfa. That masjid is built on the place where the Prophet ﷺ prayed that day. That is the place where he prayed that day. So the Prophet ﷺ prayed to, he prayed the, you know, the salawat there. They prayed Asr, Maghrib, Isha, Fajr, Dhuhr. Then the Prophet ﷺ, he prayed two rak'ahs for the sake of the ihram. Two nafil, which is a, which is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. He prayed that there. And then the Prophet ﷺ, there's a little bit of a detail here. He did not make the uh, tahleel, 
The Prophet ﷺ did not enter into the state of ihram yet. He put on the garments, got completely ready, prayed his two rakahs, but he did not do the talbiyah and make the intention of hajj yet. The Prophet ﷺ then went to the ride and the transportation, made sure everything was okay. The narrations mention that the Prophet ﷺ, he had a very, very simple ride on that day. A very simple ride. Two things are specifically mentioned. Some of the narrations mention that one of the things they used to do, a lot of times for like leaders, respectable people, chiefs, people like this, right? And by this time, so many people, there are, there's hundreds of thousands of Muslims now. So there were a lot of people who were eager to serve the Prophet so what they would do a lot of times for like honorable people is that they would build, they would construct kind of a seat or a cushion on the back of the camel. And they would strap that on there so that the person could sit a little bit more comfortably, recline, relax, so on and so forth. The Prophet ﷺ refused anything like this. The Prophet ﷺ found a sheet, qatifa. There was a sheet, a shawl. And he put that shawl on the back of the animal. The narration mentions from Anas anhu that that shawl the Prophet put on the back of the camel was worth four darahim. Four darahim. That'd be like ten bucks, ten dollars. Very, very simple. Like a sheet, a bed sheet. He put the bed sheet or a simple shawl on the back of the animal. The second thing is that a lot of times, again, very you know, kind of important people, you know, high caliber people, when they would travel on long journeys, they would have two camels. They would, they would have two camels. They would ride on one camel, and then they would put all their supplies and all their things on another camel. And that camel would be tied to this camel. Right? The Prophet ﷺ only had one camel. He refused to have a second camel carrying his stuff. He said, I don't need it. All of his stuff was on, tied onto the camel, and it was very little stuff. And it was tied onto the camel that he was riding. He said, there's no need for this. And then the Prophet ﷺ, when he made sure the animal was proper, the way he wanted it, simple, humble. This is Hajj, the Messenger of Allah, right? And so he wanted it simple. After he made sure everything was the way he wanted it, the Prophet ﷺ got on top of the animal, and Anas anhu he narrates that the Prophet ﷺ, he said at that time, Allahumma hajjatun la riya'a fiha wa la sum'a. Oh Allah, I want to do a hajj that has no arrogance, no showing off, no boasting, no, 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 no uh, ostentation, no boastfulness. I want to do a simple, humble hajj in service of you, O oh Allah. And this is how the Prophet ﷺ got onto the animal and began to depart from here. Some of the narrations mention very specifically that the camel the Prophet ﷺ rode in hajj was the same camel that he rode into Medina on the day he arrived in Medina. It was a camel the Prophet ﷺ had named he named his animals. The Prophet ﷺ named that camel Qaswa. That it was the same camel the Prophet ﷺ was riding. After he got onto um, the animal, one very beautiful narration from um, one Sahabi who says, uh, Absartu aynaya 
the, I, I saw with my own eyes the Prophet ﷺ performing Hajj. He says that there were so many new people, new to Islam, that when the Prophet ﷺ put on the ihram and he got onto the animal, people started pointing at the Prophet ﷺ and they started saying, Hada Rasulullah, Hada Rasulullah. They were so excited. Hada Rasulullah, Hada Rasulullah. Right? And at that time, the narration says that the Prophet ﷺ sat up on the animal and now he made the intention of Hajj. Now he made the intention of Hajj when sitting on the animal. One little, you know, kind of uh, a benefit, a nugget, a benefit that is derived from this is the fact that the Prophet ﷺ kind of was teaching us through his example that you should be very you should be very sure that when you make the intention of Hajj that you will actually be departing. Make the intention of the actual Hajj as you are departing. To make sure that no delay will happen after that. Because you don't want to delay, you don't want to just be sitting around in ihram. Unless it can't be avoided, right? Sometimes it can't be avoided. When you arrive for Hajj, and if you have the blessing of going to Hajj, and arriving in Jeddah, then you probably will be there for a very, very long time, right? Hajj is a blessing. So even when you arrive in Jeddah for Hajj, it's still a blessing. It's just a 12-hour long blessing at the airport of Jeddah. So even when that happens, now you're already in Ihram because you have to be in Ihram before you arrive in Jeddah. So that's okay, but that's a delay that is out of your hands. But you should just make sure that if you can, be kind of a little bit, you know, uh, be a little bit more particular than delaying the intention of the of the ihram is better rather than to make the intention too quickly and then a delay happens and then you might end up violating the state of ihram, which is not a good thing. All right. So in this particular condition and state, now they start departing from Dhul Hulayfa, the Miqat of the people of Medina, and they start departing from here after having prayed Dhuhr here. One little point that uh, Ibn Kathir ta'ala, he makes very particularly, he says that there is a kind of a, a Muslim myth, there's a misunderstanding. Some people are under the, uh, under the impression, there's a popular notion that the Prophet ﷺ did Hajj and he did all of his Umrahs on foot. He walked from Medina to Mecca for Hajj. He says that there's some type of popular notion like this. He says, no, it's not established a single place. لَمْ يَعْتَمِدِ النَّبِي صَلَّى فِي شَيْءٍ مِنْ عُمَرِهِ مَاشِيًا he never walked from Medina to Mecca. That's just not true, right? And he says that these narrations about the Prophet ﷺ riding an animal on the way to Mecca, these are narrated by so many different companions that we can basically say that there is tawatur and shuhra on the fact that the Prophet ﷺ used a mode of transportation when going between Medina and Mecca. So a lot of times people, unfortunately and mistakenly, they blow things out of proportion. But there's no real virtue in somebody deliberately trying to walk when they have a mode of transportation available. Of course, if they don't, they have to walk, then that's good. But there's no particular virtue in this because the Prophet ﷺ had a camel, so he rode a camel and he undertook the journey. Now, once they 
at the place, uh, so a little bit, a real quick note before we talk about the departure from Dhul Hulayfa, the Prophet ﷺ actually spoke about the virtues of that place. He said it's a blessed place. A man came to visit, a man came to meet the Prophet ﷺ when they were at, when he spent the night at Dhul Hulayfa, and he, he became Muslim. The Prophet ﷺ, he told him, إِنَّكَ بِبَطْحَا مُبَارَكَ He said, you are in a blessed valley. Um, Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhu in a hadith of Bukhari, he says, I heard Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu say that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Atani al-layla ta'atin min rabbi. Basically, someone came to me from my Lord, meaning an angel came to me. Jibreel alayhi salam most likely. An angel came to me and he told me that Allah has said, Salli fi hadhi, fi hadha al-wadi al-mubarak. Pray in this blessed valley. So the place of Dhul Hulayfa is actually a blessed place. Right? And then the Prophet ﷺ said, وَقُلْ عُمْرَةٌ فِي حَجَّةٍ And do an Umrah along with your Hajj. And we'll talk more about that in an, uh, potentially a little bit later. So after praying Dhuhr on that day, as I mentioned, the Prophet ﷺ, he departed. Once they departed from there, there's a very beautiful narration that the Prophet ﷺ, there's a very beautiful narration that Jibreel ﷺ came to the Prophet ﷺ on that day as they departed from there. And Jibreel ﷺ told the Prophet ﷺ, Mur ashabaka falyarfa'u aswatakum bitalbiyah. فَإِنَّهَا شِعَارُ الْحَجِّ He told Jibreel alayhi salam, said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent you a message, and that is, please tell your companions to raise their voices in saying the talbiyah, and because the talbiyah is the slogan of hajj, فَإِنَّهَا شِعَارُ الْحَجِّ It is the marker of hajj, the slogan of hajj. And it's narrated in the hadith of Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu that I heard the Prophet say, لَبَيْكَ اللَّهُمْ حَجًّا وَعُمْرَةً That is how he initiated the ihram. And from there, the Prophet started saying the talbiyah. Well, what is the talbiyah of the Prophet It's mentioned in numerous narrations. It's very well established. Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he says that the talbiyah is, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ لَبَّيْكَ إِنَّ الْحَمْدَ وَالنِّعْمَةَ لَكَ وَالْمُلْكَ لَا شَرِيكَ لَكَ And then Abdullah bin Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he added something. He added something. كَانَ Abdullah bin Umar يَزِيدُ فِيهَا And the Prophet approved of him adding this. He said, لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ وَسَعَدَيْكَ وَالْخَيْرُ فِي يَدَيْكَ وَالْرَغْبَاءُ إِلَيْكَ وَالْرَغْبَاءُ إِلَيْكَ وَالْعَمَلِ He said that, لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ He added, the word لَبَّيْكَ basically means that I am present, I am present, I am here my Lord, I am here my Lord. And he said, وَسَعَدَيْكَ And that all blessings and good fortune comes from you, O Allah. وَالْخَيْرُ فِي يَدَيْكَ All good is in your hands, O Allah. And all of our motivations, our motivations are to please you. And all the actions we do are for your sake, O oh Allah. And that this was a talbiyah. So Jibreel actually came to the Prophet and he said, tell them to raise their voices. And then the Sahaba basically started saying the talbiyah 
very, very loudly as they proceeded on towards the city of Mecca. Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu has a very beautiful narration. Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, we were traveling. There's 30,000 people traveling together. He said, I became very curious. So he says, I was close, sitting close to the Prophet And people were saying the talbiyah. And while people were saying the talbiyah, and I was riding close to the Prophet I got curious. So he says that, I stood up on the back of my camel. I stood up on the back of my camel. فَنَظَرْتُ مَدَّ بَصَرِي بَيْنَ يَدَيْ رَسُولَيْهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ مِنْ رَاكِبٍ I looked as far as I could see ahead of the Prophet ﷺ, the crowd, the caravan. And as far as I could see, all I could see was people. I couldn't see past the crowd. وَمِنْ خَلْفِهِ مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ I turned around and there were just as many people behind us, as far as I could see. وَعَنْ يَمِينِهِ مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ وَعَنْ شِمَالِهِ مِثْلَ ذَلِكَ To the right, to the left, there's just like an ocean of humanity just moving together. And he said, Jabir then says, وَرَسُولَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ سَلَمَ بَيْنَ أَذْهُرِنَا And he said, it struck me at that moment. We got to see this moment. When there is like an ocean of Muslims openly, publicly shouting the talbiyah, traveling for Hajj, and the Prophet is still alive amongst us. Because we didn't know. I mean, we knew this was the truth, we knew this was right. But we also knew we had to sacrifice and we had to be tough and we had to see this through. So we didn't know are we ever going to get to see that day? And if we get to see that day, will the Prophet still be with us? We don't know. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed us that day with the Prophet still amongst us. And he says, وَرَسُولَ The Prophet is still with us. وَعَلَيْهِ يَنزِلُ الْقُرْآنِ And the Qur'an is still coming down. وَهُوَ يَعْرِفُ تَعْوِيلَهُ And the Prophet explains to us the Qur'an. وَمَا عَمِلَ بِهِ مِنْ شَيْءٍ عَمِلْنَاهُ The Prophet still keeps teaching us, and we keep emulating him and following him and do as he teaches us. فَخَرَجْنَا لَا نَنْوِي إِلَّا الْحَجِّ He said this is, we left Medina, and we weren't going to war, we weren't going to battle, we didn't have to worry about an enemy for the first time. We left and we knew all we have to worry about is doing hajj. It was such a powerful feeling. Hatta ida atayna al-Ka'bata. Until we got to arrive in this way and lay our eyes on the Ka'bah. Such a beautiful, powerful moment. So Jabir radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he specifically mentions this moment. Now, when they arrived near the city of Mecca, the Prophet ﷺ, his habit was, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, he says in a hadith of Sahih Muslim, كَانَ لَا يَقْدَمُ مَكَّةَ إِلَّا بَاتَ بِذِي The Prophet ﷺ would always stop a little bit outside of Mecca, and then the Prophet ﷺ would spend the night there. So he was well rested, not fatigued. And then when he would wake up in the morning, he would take a ghusl, he would take a bath, he would cleanse himself. And then the Prophet ﷺ used to like to enter Mecca in the morning time, in the daytime. So that he could see the Kaaba. 
And he would like to kind of get some rest and cleanse himself. So when he got there, he could fully enjoy the experience of being at the house of Allah, of being at the haram. And again, it's mentioned that at this journey of Hajjat al-Wida, the Prophet ﷺ did the same thing. When the Prophet ﷺ entered into Mecca on that day, the Prophet ﷺ went straight to the Kaaba. And it's narrated that whenever the Prophet ﷺ would lay eyes on the Kaaba, he would lift his hands up. وَقَالَ أَلَّهُمَّ زِدْ هَذَا الْبَيْتَ تَشْرِيفًا وَتَعْظِيمًا وَتَكْرِيمًا وَمَحَابَةً O Allah, please increase this house in honor and in majesty, in dignity and in respect. Increase it. Meaning, increase the respect that the people have for the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَزِدْ مِنْ شَرَفِهِ وَكَرَمِهِ مِمَّنْ حَجَّهُ وَاعْتَمَرَهُ تَشْرِيفًا وَتَكْرِيمًا وَتَعْظِيمًا وَبِرًا And anyone who comes and does Hajj or Umrah here, and they do their Hajj and Umrah honorably, in a dignified way, in a respectable way, and in a, and in a pious way, بِرًا and in a pious way, O oh Allah, whoever does Hajj or Umrah in this way, in a very respectable, pious, good way, increase that person in honor and dignity as well. Meaning anyone who shows respect to the Kaaba, increase that person in their dignity and their honor. Another narration, the Prophet ﷺ, when he would enter into Mecca and he would see the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Ka'bah to Sharifa, he would raise his hands, he would say, Allahu Akbar. And then the Prophet ﷺ, another version of the dua that is mentioned, he would say, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam, fahayyina rabbana bis salam. Oh Allah, you are the grantor of peace and tranquility. From you comes peace. And oh Allah, that, oh Allah, our Lord and our Master, greet us with peace and tranquility. Meaning as we have come here, allow us to receive peace and tranquility on our journey here. So the Prophet ﷺ made dua in this particular way. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he started the actual Umrah. After he would arrive there, he would lay eyes on the Kaaba, he raised his hands, he made dua. Then the Prophet ﷺ began the actual performance of the Umrah itself. We'll go ahead and stop here and pause here inshallah. Um, and we'll continue on from here in the next session. We'll talk about the Umrah of the Prophet ﷺ, exactly how he did it and what he advised and what he taught us during that particular Umrah, the procedure of that Umrah. And then we'll talk about the conclusion of the Umrah. And then we'll also talk about uh, what kind of a Hajj the Prophet ﷺ did. Because when we talk about the Umrah, we'll talk a little bit about, not too much, we'll talk a little bit about what kind of a Hajj he performed there different types of hajj and then of course we'll talk about how the prophet ﷺ, there were about four to five days there were like five days and four nights between the umrah of the prophet ﷺ and the start of hajj how where did he spend those four to five days we'll talk about that as well the last thing i wanted to just mention here is that in talking about the hajj of the prophet ﷺ, hajj al-wida while we'll talk about what the Prophet ﷺ did, I don't want the conversation to become too technical and fiqh-based. What are the different procedures? What are the different rulings? That's kind of a, that requires a lesson of its own type and its own kind. So I'm not going to get into this here because the objective here is more so to just uh, 
know exactly what the actions of the Prophet or what he did, and, and to learn from those particular actions and to know more about the Prophet that's the objective here. So we'll stick to the narrative and we'll leave a lot of the technical details, but we will touch on some things because they are a part of the narrative. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us the ability to practice everything that was said and heard, and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala invite us all and accept us all to come and perform Umrah and Hajj as well. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallahu bihamdik, nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Please, please wait.